Hey, what up, people? Welcome to another edition of the Sonic Cloth, the podcast of choice for people who give way too much of a shit about music. It has been a minute, but I'm glad to be back in your ears as we throw ourselves down another uh, flight of musical stairs. And I'm trying to come up with new analogies because uh, I've been using the rabbit hole thing for a super long time, and I'm sure we're all sick of it at this point. And I like this one, uh, the, the throwing ourselves down the stairs, because it's very self-damaging. And I think the more music we soak in, you know, the longer our, our queue of albums gets, the longer our want lists on Discogs gets, and the lonelier we feel. I'm glad to be with you all again. I think half the reason these episodes take me so long to put out is that it takes me like three weeks just to arrive at a coherent theme. And, and even then, there's been many times where I'll put in the work, I'll write things out, I'll deliberate over a track list, and then I'll just scrap it. And this is exactly what happens when you've got the mania. I mean, at this point, like I've listened to so much music that my filter, my musical chopping block of ideas, like it should be an, a nicely sharpened tool, but it's not. I mean, it's the opposite. Like things make the cut way too easily. Um, and I also just end up cutting out stuff against my better judgment. So I don't know what the theme is. Maybe it's like the more you consume, the less confident you become. You know, I don't know. That's that might be the dark side to the to the life of a music obsessive. But that's the obligatory pity part of the episode. Uh, what are we getting into today? That's a lot more interesting. Today's episode is called Dream Machines, and uh, if that's not meaningless enough for you. Wait till you hear what we're getting into because it is barely holding itself together as a coherent idea. So we are setting out in search of the dreamiest, the most blissed out sounds. Uh, we're looking for songs that lift you out of your body, uh, stuff that maybe haunts you while you sleep, and music that chisels away at your icy, brittle heart. And we're not going to be genre bound here, so don't be expecting a, a playlist of like strict dream pop or shoegaze music or, or ambient i mean if you want to get into the classics of any of those there's like a million dream pop and shoegaze primers out there like they're ready for your clicks they got links that go straight to uh, purchase the vinyl on amazon so just have at it like I've, I've been there i've done all that myself you got to start somewhere but what we really want out of this particular rabbit hole is things like angelic singing buried under layers of noise uh, we want like creaky, kind of hushed kind of songs. We want choral hymns that are kind of like sound like they're echoing throughout a, a massive building. We want ghostly Western uh, Gothic ballads. And uh, I think we also want a deathbed lullaby or two. So if these things end up being dream poppy or shoegaze or ambient, then hey, so be it. We are totally after vibes on this one. I know the kids these days, they enjoy the vibes, I got my finger on the pulse, they live and die by the vibes, and so for this episode, only the most gorgeous, blissful, otherworldly vibes will do. So uh, I'm going to take you down a little weird musical kind of uh, expose where I'm kind of jumping around in like a 10, 15 year period of my life. But, you know, when I was a younger dude just discovering music, like actual music, I was uh, sucked directly into Billy Corgan's world of overly ambitious, like heavy on the drama rock and roll. 
and 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 a hallmark of the '90s was uh, the Special Pumpkins record "Siamese Dream." So uh, I don't know if the Smash Pumpkins are good vibes or bad vibes. They're probably bad vibes, uh, especially if you start looking into Mr. Corgan on a personal level. But, um, you know, that doesn't really matter here. Like, th this is the lineage. Siamese Dream. Like, I carried that CD everywhere I went in, in a little CD booklet. And I would just, you know, listen to it every day. I would soak in these heavy guitars and, and the pain, weird vocals the whiny Billy Corgan vocals and just sort of celebrate the misery of, you know, being an American suburban teenager with no real problems, and no actual grievances. I mean, and all of this, I think, was just like priming me for thousands and thousands of hours where I'm just like seeking out crunchier and heavier guitars. And, um, you know, to be honest, it's, a, it's a, still a task that I carry with me, like pretty deep into adulthood. But with Siamese Dream, the, the power in that album was uh, those heavy wall of sound guitar tones and the crazy wild soloing. And I would just, you know, go from heavy rocker to heavy rocker on that album without giving any of like Billy's ballads or softer stuff a chance. And, and those types of songs, they were just like automatic skips for me, like based on mm, 15 seconds of playing the track. Um, you know, if I would just hear like an acoustic guitar strum or a piano or something and it's just bam, skip. And, and the calculation there being that, you know, this song is not going to rock me sufficiently. But then one day, I don't know what happened. I, I can't remember. I just let one of those soft jams roll and uh, the dreaminess just washed all over me. And from that moment on, you know, that was the one for me. Now, fast forward to the Special Pumpkins follow up to Siamese Dream, the much celebrated, uh, much maligned opus, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. And not only were the pumpkins really ratcheting up a lot of the heaviness, but they were also going all in on the dreaminess. So with my newfound habit, my, my expansion uh, in listening habits, where I would actually listen to a record, you know, front to back without skips, I basically took in this monster of a double album. And once again, I just became transfixed on the dreamy stuff. So then you go back and you learn that the Smashing Pumpkins were all really into My Bloody Valentine, which preceded Siamese Dream by at least a few years. And you hear a song like Lose My Breath. And this is a song that barely feels like a coherent song just due to like this blown out production. I mean, to me, it just sounds like ghosts playing music or something. And you think you're getting farther and farther away from rock and roll. But all it really is is just rock and roll people expressing something like very, very transcendent. 
All right, so we're still in the 90s. Um, we're all about the crunchy guitars. We are all about the dreamy stuff. We're all about it when a record has both of those things. But one day you come across Mazzy Star, you see one of the videos on MTV, and you inevitably hear Hope Sandoval's voice, and it's just game over at that point. So then the rabbit hole is really starting to expand here at a very rapid pace. And at this point, um, you know, all this really necessitates is an exploration into like 80s and 90s indie music. And before you know it, you stumble on low and they become your favorite band ever. Okay, and let's fast forward again several years. We are in a new decade, uh, one that already sucks super bad. And you're in the infancy of like YouTube. So you're watching videos of like Radiohead giving interviews. Or I mean, I remember getting like a free CD sampler at like a CD store. And, and ultimately, you end up hitting Iceland. And you hear Svein Genglar and this whole game of like dreamy blissful one-upping seems like it's reached its most heavenly conclusion because uh only angelic aliens could make this kind of music And that's pretty much it. I mean, this is something that I 
carry with me, you know, in my musical DNA, like going forward. So no matter what musical phase has overtaken me, I've, I've really always needed that dreamy, blissful mood and sound as like something comforting to crawl into. I mean, especially if you're the rabbit hole is taking you to like these these fringes of progressive or extreme or, you know, the outer edges of music. Um, you know, when I discovered like doom metal, I, I gravitate towards the dreamy stuff. When I uh, discovered goth music, like I, I like preferred the dreamy stuff, you know, and I think it's the same with jazz. I think it's the same with like folk music and punk rock even like you'll find it everywhere. So everything we're going to be covering in this playlist today for Dream Machines is I would say pretty contemporary, like nothing really goes past the 15 year mark. And it's all stuff that has stuck with me ever since I heard it. And while it might be removed, maybe not entirely removed, but in some cases it could be like, well, it might not really have much to do with like nostalgia of like a band like the Smash Pumpkins or like Mazzy Star or even Sigur Rós. Like it's music that is cut from the same cloth. I mean, you could even say it's cut from the same sonic cloth. And uh, ugh, that's bad. I mean, it's taken me like 15 fucking episodes to make that reference. So I don't know. I get a pass for being self-referential. And also, in case you didn't know it, like the name of this podcast is a direct ripoff of a band. Um, if anyone knows which band I'm talking about, send, you know, shoot me an email at the soniccloth at gmail.com. I mean, I've already spelled out half the band name for you already so it should be pretty easy in fact just google the sonic cloth you will not get the sonic cloth you will get the bands that i have directly ripped off but anyway uh i think we're ready to launch into this rabbit hole hopefully you're like curled into a ball uh maybe you're dosed out on downers i mean you know just be careful but you do you and Maybe you're even like ready to re-enter the womb from which you came. I mean, I think that's that's ultimately where we would end up here. I know that's a, a, a bold goal, but uh, let's go for it. Let's get real dreamy. Let's make this cozy. Uh, maybe you'll doze off in the middle of it. And if that happens, that is absolutely a sign that this has been a successful rabbit hole. So let's do this thing. This is The Sonic Cloth, episode 15, Dream Machines. We are starting this thing off with the queen bee of the shit, in my humble opinion. This is an artist whose music is instantly timeless and placeless for me. And it could have been like a lost 60s folk relic, or it could be like an 80s dark and dreamy pop artist who was like on the 4AD label. It's it's just kind of like exists in the ether. And there's truly nothing that, that gives away what musical era this could have been made in largely because it's it's very simple and direct music and um it's basically disregarding like any obvious modern production and of course i'm talking about uh grouper the solo moniker of singer and songwriter and producer liz harris so this track is called fishing bird empty gutted in the evening breeze and it's off of the 2008 album dragging a dead deer up a hill and the thing that I take away from Grouper's music is is that it's absolutely like arresting. Liz's uh, beautiful ghostly vocals just command your attention. 
And before you know it, you, you've kind of melted into a puddle on the floor. But the other quality that's really present in her music is like all these layers of noise, this kind of crackling, this distortion and this fuzz that blankets the instrumentation. Now, this isn't going to be for everyone because it's pretty like lo-fi and sure, not all of like Grouper's work is like completely shrouded in that kind of like sonic coat. But if you strip away the production choices, like I am confident that that voice is absolutely for everyone. I don't really care who you are or like what you like. But this track, like much of Grouper's work, is is really stripped down. You've got a guitar, like kind of messily strumming some open chords. Um, and it sounds like they're all being like down strummed too. You can really hear the physicality of the guitars as Liz kind of like transitions from chord to chord. And those like little squeaks, that, that kind of thing is usually the kind of thing that gets edited out of other recordings, but like not here. This is definitely very live sounding and I'd be surprised if like a lot of takes were even done on this song or even this album. But aside from the guitars, we get uh, some multi-tracked vocals and a, a thin layer of like fog that's either placed there via like electronics or a pedal or it might just be the recording. Um, and I think that's a common trait of Grouper's music, like this fog that just kind of like casts over the song. And and I got to say, like, this is pretty clean for like Grouper standards. Like you all should listen to her uh, AIA albums like <laughs> that material sounds like it was recorded in space like 100 years ago and then popped into a cassette player in like modern times. But yeah, I don't I don't know how much there is to really say about Grouper. Like her melodies are stunning. Her voice is so ghostly, uh, so beautiful, and her music is just soaking in atmosphere and fog and uh, comes out to play at like the latest hours of the night. And it's just so raw and more often than not, it's like terribly sad music. But I don't know. I don't think that it's like reveling in it. It's it's that finding pleasure and sadness quality that I love so much about music and that I've talked talked about like at least every other episode. So, um, you know, we will be dipping our toes into more of that throughout this episode. But to me, Grouper is just the best. I mean, it was love at first sight and her music has never stopped being engaging to me. And I think every person I've ever shown Grouper to has become uh, pretty uh, obsessed. So uh, the music definitely has that going for it.
All right, this next one is by a relatively new artist named Anna Roxanne, who I believe really only has been releasing music under this moniker for the past couple of years. So this track is titled Sweet Pour Le Invisible. Uh, just imagine someone French saying that, and, and you'll get somewhere in the vicinity. Um, and it's off of the record titled Because of a Flower. This was released in November 2020, so we've got a fresh one here. And to me, this sounds like a cross-pollination of like ambient and new age styles of music and dream pop. But, it, you know, it doesn't sound like Enya, even though we can all finally acknowledge that Enya rocks. But I was just so impressed with this album when I discovered it last year. I mean, I think I picked it up on vinyl and I just spun it over and over. And it was really this track that like sucked me in. And this is like a skeleton of a song because it's just so stripped down. There's these bell-type sounds. Maybe it's synth, but I can't really be sure. And then a thick, bassy guitar line that sounds like something off of like a Roy Montgomery album. And they're both kind of cycling throughout the song, creating this like steady and intoxicating loop of, tr of music that sounds like each layer was just like built maybe in like live time or something. And then Anna's vocals come in and, and this track just takes on a totally like ethereal quality and you basically fall in love with that voice and just like live happily ever after. But like for real, Anna's voice is so fucking good. It is so deliberate. It is so beautiful. And I don't know, you're just like healed by it. And this entire track can best be summed up as like therapeutic. Like, I think this is what a bath sounds like. And it's just uh, profoundly gorgeous. It's so simple. It's so elemental. And I, I don't know how you couldn't be affected by this. And not to get all yogi on you, um, but this song is like best experienced if you're letting your guard down. If you're like silencing the mind, maybe you're stretching your limbs and just kind of forgetting about everything except the song in the moment.
So there's going to be a lot of lulling in this episode, if you can't tell already. Uh, you may fall asleep here and there, but, um, you know, it's not because this music is dull or lifeless. It's because you're not taking care of yourself in the shit world. So in realizing this, I tried to build this track list out so that we're getting into some kinds of ups and downs. Um, and you are deserving of an upper right now. So uh, we have the band. They're called No Joy. The track is called Lunar Phobia. It is from the 2013 album titled Wait to Pleasure. And this is this one is probably the most lively of the entire bunch. Um, it's just so dreamy. Um, I love the 90s vibes here. This reminds me of like a sharper, more driving, like isn't anything era, My Bloody Valentine, or it even kind of reminds me of like Luscious Jackson with some of those vo vocals. Um, and, and I love this track because it's so glossy. I mean, it has so many layers of like breathy vocals all over it. It's got these jangly effects that are like stabbing in and out. And the bass is basically just driving everything. And I cannot emphasize this enough. Like there are so many layers jumping in and out of this track and, and it should be a total mess. I mean, I'm sure it looks like a total mess if you were like gridded out, but it's 100% in full control and it's just all like masterfully like chopped up and reassembled yet. It comes across just like a, a rock band at the end of the day. And it's really just perfectly executed dream pop. That's filtered through like an alt rock, almost trip hop kind of lens. And it's definitely the more high production facet of like this dreamy world that we're trying to concoct here. But yeah, this is just like a wonderful track. Great band. Um, they've evolved a lot over their albums. And, and this is pretty much the best like evolution of 90s like dreamy rock that I've heard in, in modern indie rock kind of circles. So if you're in it just for like the nostalgia, I don't think uh, No Joy is it going to work out well for you? But if you want to hear how a band can evolve a time and a place, um, you know, drill down on that kind of sound, but fit it into like a modern application while completely doing their own thing, then this be it.
Next up, we've got the crazy talented singer, songwriter, and composer Julia Holter with a cover of the old Barbara Lewis song from 1963, Hello Stranger. And this track comes off of Julia's 2013 album, Loud City Song. And if you've never heard the original, um, it's, it's basically something you would hear if you were like a white kid in the early 60s meeting up with friends for like banana splits at the local soda fountain or something. But, um, you know, whether or not you've heard the original is kind of irrelevant because this is such a bold take on the song. Julia basically keeps the vocal melody like intact, but just stretches the song out into like this mesmerizing piece of uh, ambient pop like that's really aided by like warm synths and kind of ocean sounds and rising strings and horns. And Julia's voice goes from like distant in the very beginning of the track. But as it moves along, her voice just like grabs for more and more attention. And eventually it sounds like she's just singing directly into your ear. And it's just this continuous buildup of strings and faint percussion with Julia's soulful voice, kind of repeating the song's main melody. And I don't know, it just sounds almost like a deconstructed, almost like a narcotic version of like uh, 50s or 60s doo-wop or something. But it's just a stunning piece of music. It's it's very classy, it's nostalgic, and it's definitely heaven-bound. So this song is just really special. Um, you'll hear it and you'll only want to share it with people in your life who you really love. Say hello to me 
Okay, I think we're getting a feel for this thing a little bit. And this next one has got to be the closest thing to a straight up pop song that we're going to encounter here. 
So the artist is Jenny Haval. The song is Conceptual Romance. Uh, the record is titled Blood Bitch. It is from 2016, and it came out on the Sacred Bones label, which is a great resource for dreamy music, but also like a really good label for sort of surreal, gothy, and psychedelic stuff too. But Jenny Havala is a very fascinating artist who works in a lot of themes and like mixed media from what I can tell, like definitely a very visual artist if you've ever seen any of her videos or even the album covers. But there's definitely some surreal themes and boundary pushing stuff here. And this particular album invokes uh, vampires, menstruation, and old horror films. Jenny said this about the record's theme. She said, and it's an investigation of blood that is shed naturally, the purest and most powerful, yet most trivial and most terrifying blood. And and this track, Conceptual Romance, is absolute art pop perfection. I mean, if you aren't sucked into like the charm of the song, I don't know, you just like holding something back within yourself. Lyrically and vocally, it's it's just so odd. There's so many vocal detours and a kind of spoken word approach to it. It's very freewheeling in like the second half, especially. But the first half of the song is just the most like pristine, heavenly, like pop you're going to hear. It's just perfect for people who love Bjork and like Kate Bush and that kind of thing. And I don't know, like the chorus in this song is just so immediate. It's so syrupy. It's so angelic. It's just absolutely brilliant. And it does what any great pop song does. It makes you forget about you and indulge in the pleasures of a pop song. Thank you. 
right, so next up, Juliana Barwick. She is a composer, vocalist, and producer, and this track is titled One Half. It is from her 2013 album, Nepenthe. And this album was recorded in Iceland with a, a couple of Sigurós collaborators, including uh, Amina, as well as uh, members of the Icelandic group Mum, who are super underrated, by the way. I highly urge you to check out Mum. But Juliana's music really revolves around her voice. Um, and it's this very gorgeous, very expansive voice. It's often dripping in reverb and is multi-tracked in such a way that it sounds like a chorus of voices, like echoing throughout a massive church. Um, it's probably impossible to like talk about her music and not like use that the term church or a cathedral. I don't know if there's actually anything there, but this is just what it sounds like. Sort of that natural echoing effect of voices that like bounce from wall to wall. Like that kind of effect is, is really achieved like very, very well in all of her records. And this is very ethereal music. It's extremely emotional. It is all feeling and alternates between like very tragic and, and very profound. And this track is really a demonstration of like a single melodic idea with counter melody, like constructed in such a dramatic way. So the first minute of the song sounds like a choir performing in the building next door, and the sound is kind of seeping in through your house. But then everything drops out, and all of a sudden you're in the same room as the choir, as the melodies kind of like wrap around one another in like total clarity um, for kind of one more epic go. And then the song fades out with like a coda of strings. And the song is like over almost as soon as it began. And I think it's that quality of like short-lived wonder and beauty that is like present throughout all of Juliana Barwick's music. Like nothing is really drawn out. It's just these fleeting moments of experiencing something like ghostly or divine, which I think we can all relate to on some level. So but anyway, this is beautiful stuff. This is like the loveliest shit this side of Cigarros. So you know I had to feature it. I was 
So next up is an artist who has one of those truly special, truly mesmerizing voices. And it's one that gives me flashbacks to hearing like Hope Sandoval of Mazzy Star singing for the first time. Although this artist is definitely, you know, an artist doing her own thing with her own voice. But the track is called Strangers. It is from the artist Marissa Nadler. It is off the album Strangers. And this one came out in 2016, also on Sacred Bones Records. So another win for them on this episode. And Marissa Nadler has kind of gone through like a continuous metamorphosis throughout her discography, starting off like more of like a sparse folk kind of thing, and then moving into darker and more like emotionally wrought territory, I would say. A lot of her stuff like touches on the more subdued side of like goth or Americana or just kind of like very dreamy balladry. And I'm personally like a fan of all of her stuff, not just because it's all beautiful, but it's just that voice, man. Like, it's just so commanding. It's so distinct. You just got to follow it wherever it takes you. And with this track in particular, Marissa is channeling some some ghosts of country music, I would say. And there's even kind of like a Chris Isaac kind of romanticism, too. It's all just really melancholy and forlorn. And the musical accompaniment here is like so expressive. Um, the instrumentation is so good. It's, it's all serving the voice and the song. And it's just kind of like waltzing along and it just you know it sounds like walking along like an empty beach at like the late hours and feeling very alone in this world and the dreamy quality here is like more pulling from a place of i don't know being in mourning or loss and it's exactly the kind of like beautiful depressiveness that my teenage self would probably not gravitate to at all but like in due time as we get older and hopefully a little more experienced and, and cynical probably like this is the stuff that grabs you in place of like that early fandom i don't know you could like call it a maturing of the same inner sad sack that's been with us all along
All right, we have a little bit of a rarity for the podcast coming up here, as this is the second time I've featured Midwife's music on the show. The first time was during the Flens or Records episode, which I urge you all to go back into the archives and listen to. Uh, and when I say archives, I mean it was like probably five episodes ago, so you don't have to go back that far. But side note, if you want to know the best gloomy label in the game, please check out the Flenser and the episode that I did with Dan from the sadly defunct Create and Destroy podcast. Um, the Flenser is a real gem in the music world. Um, you'll probably find similar dreamy stuff there, but maybe on a little bit of the outer fringes. But it's a good starting point for, for dreamy, sad sack kind of music either way. But this track by Midwife, it's called RTD Part 2. The RTD stands for Ready to Die. There is a little two-song suite on this album, uh, RTD Part 1 and 2. Let me tell you the name of the record. The record is called Like Author, Like Daughter. It was released in 2017, um, although The Flenser has recently reissued it, as well as putting out Midwife's uh, album that came after this, which is also so good. But let me tell you a little bit about Midwife. It is the project of Madeline Johnston, a wonderful artist whose music is so affecting and so personal uh it just goes right at you and and it's music that hits the extremity of like dreaminess with those simple repetitive guitar parts like the ones in the song you get these oceanic washes of noise that are like swirling around there's a ghost-like effect on her vocals that's like dragging out the melodies and timbre of the voice as well and this to me is in like the grouper mold of dreamy music i would say it's so well done that a song like this, which has like a single refrain, I mean, there's a single line that's repeated throughout this whole song. And the phrase is, I'm ready to die. And, and that's really all that you need from a song like this. I mean, the music is sort of operating somewhere between like gorgeous and heavenly and brutally sad. And it just makes me feel like th- this person who's singing is true, or this character, you know, doesn't have to be the artist, is truly like ready to die and not in a regretful way, but in a way that would like embrace it and not for like fetish's sake or like in an overwrought way, but just like fully accepting this fate and welcoming it. And with that, the entire track just takes on like a a narcotic kind of ambience and you're basically basking in the inevitability of death. And it's not glorious or anything. It's just that it's happening and like, why not let the beauty in as one prepares to go?
All right, we are going to continue the bummer train here, but uh, with a little bit of a different mood. The band is Worm Euroboros. The song is Brittle Heart, and this comes off the 2009 self-titled record, which came out on the metal label Profound Lore. And uh, dare I say, this is absolutely one of the heaviest projects that the label has ever released. So this is a trio. They are composed of like a lot of legends of the Bay Area metal uh, dark rock and goth scenes. I mean, you're talking about members of Amber Asylum, The Galt, uh, World Eater, Ludacra, and Agaloc. And and the band has sort of has two front people, like Jessica Way and Lorraine Rath. Um, and they're on vocals and, and uh, guitars and bass. And, and they're alongside a drummer. Um, their current drummer is uh, Aesop Decker, although he doesn't actually play on this album. Um, he joined the band later. But I actually had the opportunity to talk to Aesop at a festival a few years back. And I remember asking him about Worm Euroboros. And he talked about how he really just wanted to like approach the drumming to this band by being able to respect like the drumming on the first album, which is basically like flourishes and jazzy percussive applications to the music. Because this music is like very barren. It's very exposed. Um, it kind of stops you in your tracks. And the mood on this particular album is like very icy. Uh, very brittle, as the title would suggest, uh, and, and a bit mysterious. And the vocals are just something like from another time. Like they're, they're delivered with this like aching vibrato that is just very ghostly. It's very full of tension. And I've loved this album since the first time I heard it, perhaps because I discovered it before. I heard stuff like this Mortal Coil or like mid period Swan stuff. Um, and this is just simultaneously like the heaviest. Most metal thing on here, in spirit anyway. And and the type of break that you need from like bombastic rock music while keeping a lot of its darkness and a lot of like the emotional power of it. Anyway, this is like a brilliant band um, that doesn't get nearly attention they deserve. All three of their albums are worthy of your time, but I think the first one holds a special place for me. And it's just the way that they meticulously like build tension together and tear it down that makes the music so incredible. And if you don't think this is dreamy enough, you know, it really is. It just doesn't really need to cake on like all this noise and texture to like take you into another world.
We have reached the end of this fever dream of dreamy music, and I really can't think of a better artist to go out on than the exquisite Mary Lattimore. The closing track here is titled Never Saw Him Again. It is off of the 2018 album Hundreds of Days. And Mary Lattimore is is a harpist, a songwriter, an artist, musician for hire. And this album, um, her solo full-length was recorded in, I think, the Pacific Northwest. And this album really broke her out into like the worlds of experimental music, um, ambient music, and even indie rock. And this album is by far like the twinkliest of all the picks here. It's perfect music for like early mornings where you just want to like stay in a sleepy daze, but you know you need to be up. So this is just the soundtrack to being like partially conscious. And most of Mary's songs are like built off of her heart playing which 
you know, by the way, we're talking about like a 47 string like instrument here, but more and more, I feel like the harp is becoming less the focus of the music and more of like a guide as she brings in like a lot of other textures, like wordless kind of singing and dream me like atmospheric kind of synths and drones, guitars sometimes too, layering them in a way that like an ambient musician would. And this song in particular, like really demonstrates Mary moving from like these solo heart pieces to like a full bodied kind of sound. And you wouldn't even necessarily know that like she's a harp player if you only heard the song. Um, it just sounds like a beautiful piece of ambient music with like a killer harpist playing on top. All of Mary's music is really worthwhile. Um, it's, I suppose, a bit less moody than a lot of the other stuff I've thrown at you today. It's like less minor key and melancholy and more so like glistening and serene and evocative of like landscapes uh maybe even like a fantastical kind of like thing here but i don't know that just might be like our inherent association of like heart playing to like some kind of excalibur type shit but uh this track is absolutely beautiful i love the way it's constructed um seeming like the first few minutes are supposed to be like the shimmering outro or conclusion of the song but instead like layers build with like organ and harp and what sounds like maybe tape loops a little more than like halfway into the song and then you get this like stunning exchange of like organ and harp and this part reminds me of uh something off of laughing stock by the band talk talk um in fact i think a lot of that record's like most sublime moments are are alive in some of mary Lattimore's music and i have no idea if they're an influence of hers but it's the same kind of feels for me and the track just sort of like deteriorates away. And, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know what more I can say about Mary Lattimore. This is like seriously the most heavenly stuff you're going to find out there these days. And, and this track in particular is, is a beautiful example of her like most recent evolution. She's had a, another album since then. But I'm going to go out on this one. I think that's going to wrap things up for us today. Um, it has been a pleasure getting dreamy with you all on this one. I'm happy to have followed up an episode about American black metal, like the most disgusting thing you could think of, with an episode about dreamlike music. Um, and that's that's what's fun to do, I think, going from one musical ledge to the next. Um, it's great because it's like a, a form of rejecting the thing that you've been obsessed with and uh, are now realizing, like, yo, I'm spending way too much time with this one thing. And if you're a true maniac, then you uh, you know you'll come crawling back eventually to you know these kind of like rejected uh, temporarily rejected forms of music but we need those kinds of like manic listening decisions to happen to keep us grounded um to keep us not completely turned off by music i mean it hasn't happened yet people let's hope that day never comes but that is gonna do it all right we will see you next time with a new rabbit hole a new staircase this one is gonna come sooner than uh how long it took for this one to come out since the last. So please stay subscribed. Please share this podcast with your fellow musical psychopaths. Uh, hit me with that rating and review. If you got a minute, send me a collaboration episode idea at the sonic at gmail.com and listen to dreamy music because the world sucks and obscuring it with floaty ethereal sounds is just a solid life move. <laughs>